Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to learn tips, tricks, and stories from other investors in the field. Today, we have a special guest with us, so buckle up, grab your pen and paper, and enjoy the ride. And we are live. All right, Noel, thank you for joining us today. Where are you calling from? I am in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Steba Springs, Colorado. That means, yes. based on the pictures behind you, you must uh, you must ski a lot. I do. I'm a ski racer. I, I'm a skier. I live in a mountain community, in you know, in Colorado, and and get to get to uh, enjoy that. Uh, I, I lived in Chicago for 20 years, so now I'm in the mountains. Nice. I'm uh, I'm jealous. I grew up skiing, but then started snowboarding, and uh, I haven't been. I you know, I live in Washington, so I should be able to get out there more, but but I don't. Um, so to get us started, why don't you give us an introduction, who you are, where you're from, and, uh, and how'd you get into real estate investing in the first place? So I'm Noel Christopher. Uh, I work for, currently work for a company called Renters Warehouse. Um, I've been in the investing space for quite a while. I started my real estate career in commercial real estate in the late 90s and, uh, in Chicago and grew that into really working with more single family rental, small multifamily, uh, through the recession, uh, did a, did a, you know, had a turnkey business where we were buying and rehabbing two, two and three flat buildings in Chicago and, and helping them, you know, sell them to investors through their, uh, through their 401ks and IRAs. And, uh, the last eight years I've been in the single family rental space. I was in Chicago and, and, um, had a connection with a friend of mine who ended up working at Invitation Homes. And so we we built a team and we bought about a thousand homes for Invitation Homes and another couple of thousand homes in Chicago for other investors. And that's really how I got into the single family rental space. And I've never turned back since then. And so now I work with Renters Warehouse. We uh, are a property management company. We manage about 22,000 homes around the country. And then uh, we also have investment advisory services in our 41 offices that are focused just on the single family rental space. I mostly focus on our larger clients. So some of the institutional and mid cap or mid tier funds that are buying, they might be buying properties in 10 or 15 different locations, might be buying it through the MLS, they might be buying it through portfolios, working with home builders and build to rent developments, just all kinds of different things. And I'm kind of the glue that sticks a lot of that together. Oh, wow, okay. 42 markets, you said, or 42 yes. different offices and different, I'm assuming different states. Actually, I'm offices. sorry, 40. It's 40. 40. I apologize. Still, that's still a big number. <laughs> um, okay. And you yourself also invest, correct? Yes. I have for, for a very long time, good and bad. <laughs> so. <laughs> we all have those stories and I'll, I'd like to get into those at some point. Sure. Um, so kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at both sides um, of your story. You work with Renner Warehouse, a very, you know, well-known um, property management company. Um, and then you have your own investment investment business. And so I kind of want to delve into both sides of that. Um, so can you kind of, uh, for your, your own investment business, um, kind of describe your business model, what it is you do, um, you know, how you get leads. Obviously you work at Brandis Warehouse, so I'm sure you have a good flow there. Um, but kind of go into that side of the business for now. Well, so I, I want to preface that with one thing, you know, I've been a real estate broker, agent, investor, all different worlds. And I made a decision a long time ago uh, to what I call don't be a broke broker. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you, you see a lot of people and you spend a lot of time helping other people execute their investment strategy and help people find property or help investors find property. And meanwhile, 
you're helping them earn a long-term build wealth, recurring revenue, recurring income. And meanwhile, you're chasing these deals around to close a commission and you, where you should be being very diligent and taking that money and start investing. And so I made that decision several years ago to not be that broke broker. And it's probably the best thing I've ever done. And, you know, so as far as the strategy, you know, I'm, I'm fully invested in the single family rental space. I don't think that's the only investment strategy if you're going to invest in the real estate. But right now, I mean, even considering this, and this will kind of tell you my, why my strategy is what it is. Look at what's happening now in the world if the, with the unemployment and job losses mainly concentrated in people living mostly in multifamily rentals. Hmm. Um, if you look at the cohort, if you look at you know what just came out recently of 40% of everybody who owns less than $40,000 lost their job. Well, those people oh, weren't no. living. Those people weren't living in fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a month single family rentals in the suburbs. They were mostly living in in uh, workforce type housing, multifamily housing. So, the single family rental space has stayed really strong. Uh, you have a lot of people that are downsizing, whether they're if they're going through a foreclosure or they've had a job loss and they're downsizing from a more expensive market to a more affordable market. They're typically going and looking at renting a single family house rather than renting an apartment. You don't see as many families renting out an apartment that are in the middle class and, and up. And, and that's kind of where, where that rental renter uh, cohort is that we look at. So, you know, we're at 90 plus percent um, collection. Uh, we're only about two, two and a half points off of our normal collection rate for May. Hmm. Uh, and that's around the industry that there is so much demand. There's such an undersupply of homes. And that doesn't matter if somebody, you know, when they talk about undersupply of homes, I mean, it doesn't matter if someone's going to buy a home or rent a home. I mean, almost every one of our renters that comes to rent a home is also looking for a home to buy. There's such a low supply that they're having to dual track that. And they're making that decision of, well, I guess I'm going to rent. And then we have some people that rent and then decide to invest in other markets because just because your rent doesn't mean you just because your rent doesn't mean you can't invest into real estate. You could live, you could be paying four grand a month in, in Seattle and go, go uh, buy a couple of houses in, in uh, Alabama that rent for $1,500 a month and you're making a great return and you put, you're in it for $300,000 and you that's, can qualify for that. That's funny. So, I'm a, me and my partners are, are doing that exact same thing right now. I mean, we're looking for, um, for flips here in Seattle, you know, what, you know, single family flips, you know, three to $400,000. Um, and that's, you know, Seattle's a really expensive market, but then we're buying a 10 unit apartment complex out in, uh, in Ohio for what? 165,000. Exactly. So yeah. And so, so now real estate used to be so hyper local and it is local because what you own is local and the people who consume your product, which is your house that you're renting or your apartment building that you own, that's your product you're putting out there. They're local, but you can invest all over the country. I mean, um, you know, nothing as far as giving a sales pitch in our company, but the whole reason we, we built it up the way we did was because we wanted people to say, I want to go look at Instead of, instead of going, what market do I have to look at? We can say, we have 40 markets. What's your investment strategy? And you might be able to buy a couple of homes in each market, really diversify yourself uh, and, and, and keep, things, uh, keep things solid and not so concentrated in one area. Hmm. Uh, so have you, um, I mean, I, I know I've spoken with a lot of investors and I know that the reason they don't like to invest in single family, um, single family homes is the basically the property management side of it. Um, I mean, managing 10 units is uh, the, the energy you put into it um, is not as 
is not 10 times the amount. It's a diminishing return. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so kind of go over how, how do you manage, I mean, you have a whole bunch of single families, I'm assuming. How do you go about managing those? Um, you know, what's the, what's the secret sauce besides, uh, hiring well, in his warehouse? So, so there's exactly, <laughs> well, yeah. So he hires in his warehouse because you can have properties in multiple locations that have one point of contact. So that's, ah, okay, okay. so that's the point, right? So yeah. our, we're not franchised in all these locations with different operations. Everything's going, seating up to one corporate entity that you can then have the economies of scale of a 23, 23,000 homes under management and you can own one and you're having that same economies of scale as if you have several. Uh, okay. Beyond that, whether you use our company or anybody else's company, it's, it, you, you can now remotely you know, manage so much more because of technology and have a good partner on the ground, but you have to have a good property manager on the ground, no matter who that is. And there's other ones that are really good too. Locally, you can find some very good white glove bespoke property managers that are going to give you that, that high touch. Um, the, the only issue with that is that they don't work very well at scale, right? So yep. those are some of the things you look at in a property manager. If, if the property manager has a ring of keys on there and his phone's ringing, he's talking to tenants and he's talking to owners, well, it's going to break at some point. Yep. You know, you could add one house to that system and it breaks down. So looking at the systems and making sure you have a good property manager and, and you can manage different property managers in different markets. It can be done. It's, it's now you have more property management company companies coming out and platforms coming out that you can even self-manage or, or have third-party management that can cover a lot of different markets. So I, I always suggest that it's not a bad idea to self-manage for a little bit, but it is a hugely diminishing return after five or 10 units. It's yep. just, it's just really tough, but there's some good platforms you can use. There's pro companies like ourselves. I mean, most of our, most of the people in our company are, are that we manage for own one or two houses. Yep. Um, okay. And, and it just is what it is. And we have an institutional investors that we manage for as well, but understanding their systems, really, really understanding how they operate and how they're going to communicate with you as a, you're a customer, but the real customer is the tenant. So you're, you're, so you might think of yourself as the property manager management companies that make me happy. Yeah. They need to communicate with you, but they need to make the tenant happy and they need to communicate with the tenant. And if a tenant, if there's something breaks in the house, they need to be on it because what happens if something breaks in a house three months before a lease is up and they take two weeks to go fix it, yep. you're going to have a hard time increasing your rent. You're going to have a low, you're going to have a lot more turnover because they're just going to say, ah, you know, they made that decision three months ago. And once they start that ball rolling, they're not going to really turn back. So yep. that process is, that's why it's important to have professional management yep. because you want that communication. And that's uh, I mean, I've spoke, um, we do uh, off market marketing, obviously to get, uh, to get flips here in Seattle. And then mm -hmm. we've spoken with a lot of investors um, who, I mean, they're the, you know, the, the standard, you know, distress, not distressed, but tired landlord who's just tired of dealing with the headache of oh, yeah. turnover, et cetera, et cetera. And they are all single family. Now, none of them are ever going to be a multifamily when you, when you hear a, um, a tired landlord. So, um, yeah. And so here's, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of things that can go right because you, on, on the, on the value side, as you go, go in time, you know, that single family can, can, uh, increase in value differently than a multifamily. Multifamily is just tied to the income yep. in some greatly appreciating areas. And we've seen this happen in the last few years where a lot of people started renting their homes in 2010. And now it's 
2020 and they're looking at their values going, well, I could sell it for 500. I could keep it rented and it's worth 300 and they might decide to sell it. And then 1031 exchange that into a multifamily or into more or into a portfolio of single families. It's funny in single family rental, a lot of people own less than five, but, but there's a big jump. The, the five to 10 are not as many as investors, but once you get to five, a lot of people jump to 10, 12, 13, 14. Once you get past 10, it becomes more like on the risks side, more like multifamily. Okay. But then you've got tenants that stay on average three years. Uh, you're going to get a little bit, you know, a lot, you can get tenants that take care of the house a lot better. Um, if you've got a portfolio, if one is, is non-performing, it's not going to crush you than if you just have one single family house. And so that's where you see a lot of the tired landlords is they haven't really been taught that investing side of things. And when you're owning these, and I'm sure in multifamily, it's similar. You don't look at the cash flow and figure out how you take all that as take home pay right away. You need to stabilize that rental and that portfolio and figure out what your true expenses are going to be. Because when you buy something, it's typically not what you think it's going to be. Uh, always, so if you always, have to live, you it's gonna be, yeah. if your initial, if in the first for single family rentals, we say first five years is really to get through that and build up a portfolio, buy a couple of houses a year, and then you're going to have a nice portfolio and then take that cash flow as much as you can and put it back into the property. And you're going to, it's going to be exponentially more to you later on than it is if you take it early on, if you try to take that cash flow. So when we advise people, if they say, well, I'm going to need that cash flow in order to pay my other mortgage or pay my bills, that's not good. You want the cash flow to pay the, pay the mortgage on the house and to put it in reserves as much as possible and reinvest that money into the house. And so I'm, I'm sure and, you see that in a similar multifamily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I have a few follow-up questions to that, but actually I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot a little bit. Sure. Um, so when you buy your own um, personal deals, what criteria do you use to identify the deal um, that you'd like to buy? I'm sure you don't buy only in your own market over there in Colorado. Yeah. Well, um, not, not at all, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I first understand what my strategy is and truly understand my cost of capital and my cost to operate and, and come up with a, uh, a general guideline of what my expense, expense ratio, my expense load is going to be. Okay. And then the, the only thing that's going to affect that up and down are taxes. Yep. So now I've got it in my head. I can look at something that that if the average taxes are two thousand dollars and the house is, you know, uh, fourteen hundred dollars a month, I know I can pay one hundred seventy nine thousand dollars. Like you, you start to know those numbers in your head. But uh, I, I look at that cash flow. Then I, so I understand where I need to be, you know, because it doesn't matter what market it is. If the numbers don't work, they don't work. Yep. Uh, so then. Then I look into the market and you look at, you know, I'm looking at more uh, smaller, um, what I call hipsterbia markets that are more affordable, <laughs> that have good jobs, yeah. um, that, that people are, you know, a lot of people, you have to see some of this out migration to these more affordable markets. Um, understanding the, the local economy and what's happening in that local economy is so important. Um, we've been doing a lot of investing in Alabama. Um, Alabama, really? Interesting. Yeah, Alabama is 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 great. The taxes are low. You can buy new construction homes for under under two hundred thousand dollars, and you've got quality tenants living in them. Um, so we can talk about that later if you want. I've I've done the last six months a ton of business in Alabama for myself for my clients. Uh, you know they they heavily rely on the auto industry and the aerospace industry. So you need to understand 
those things but it's 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 been great uh that's that's really interesting we've actually had a lot of um so we have one campaign that just markets nationally and so we don't restrict it at all and we get a lot of leads from alabama and mississippi um and we tend to not put as much effort into those because um just i mean the demographics that we look up it's not as favorable um yeah, so, so it's, inter- it's interesting that yeah. you're you focus on Alabama. I mean, the the price point is definitely appealing, but um, yeah, go into that a little bit more. Why why Alabama? Uh, well, because they you know after the last recession, um, unlike some of the larger urban areas, they opened themselves up for business. They kept they kept their tax basis low. Um, they, they didn't overburden, you know, the, uh, local government didn't grow exponentially. Like take, for example, Chicago, it's the top first five employers in the state in, in, in Chicago are all government. Really? Yeah. So, (laughs) so, you know, you, you've got that, I mean, you can go deeper, big government, not big government, whatever, but they, they really open themselves up for business. They work through their foreclosure issues. They didn't not get hit as hard as some other areas. Now, now Alabama, though you go, you know you've got you've got your your core of 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 the, the good areas, and then you know there's some there's some tough areas too, just like anywhere. Um, but what we've seen is is that the land is cheap there. There's a lot of people wanting to move there. There's healthcare companies. There's uh, auto. You know because labor is inexpensive in Alabama. There's a ton of manufacturing going on, so you've got a good workforce that can have a uh, middle income job. And, and so that those are solid. So you have a good workforce housing, meaning stuff that's 1200 to $1,700 a month in rent that somebody making, you know, uh, you know, 60, $70,000 a year can easily afford even as a family. Um, and, and there's great population growth. They're doing great things. And so we've seen a lot of interest there um, beyond just the funds chasing a yield uh, yeah. because you get a lot of that as well. But uh, you know, so that Birmingham, area, Huntsville area. I mean, you've got homes you're renting for $1,500 a month. You might have a NASA engineer living there. So, (laughs) um, you know, whereas you take that same home and you take that same, that same place and take it to Chicago and the rent's going to be double, you know, somebody paying $1,500 a month rent in Chicago could actually be government subsidized. So there's like so many different dynamics, but places like that, like Charleston, South Carolina, um, Florida is obviously a great investing area and, and, and continues to be, um, all in that Southeast is, is good. Get up into the rust belt. You know, you're talking about Ohio, Columbus, Ohio is a great place. These are all areas that, that I think are going to continue to grow because they're more affordable. So people are looking at, you know, right now they're looking at their costs of living and everything they're doing. And especially if you have some kind of displacement, somebody loses a job and they go, why are we paying this? Let's move to Columbia because or Columbus, because, I have a friend there and they say it's great and we can buy a, we can buy a house for 200 grand and yeah. live in the suburbs or we can rent a house for whatever or we can live downtown and look what they've done they revitalize it so this is happening all over the country yep. and I think the areas the suburban areas I some people have denounced some of the news saying people aren't going to all move to rural areas I'm not talking about rural areas I'm talking about suburban areas but that have a good core to them and a good live work environment that's that hipsterbia thing so yep. um Okay. Uh, we, you, you look into all that. And so we do that for a lot of advisory for the funds we work with. And then you start seeing, look, if it's so good for somebody else to buy it, you need to be looking at it too. Um, and, that makes sense. So, 
All right, so we're gonna, I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit here. Sure. Um, and I wanna go into your own um, personal experience. Actually, before we do that, um, going back a little bit, I wanna ask about um, Renner's Warehouse. So just give a little plug, I mean, it doesn't have to be a plug obviously, but um, talk a little bit about why Renner's Warehouse is uh, so effective for single family investors. Well, so we've been doing it since 2008. Um, this isn't a new business for us. Uh, Renner's Warehouse used to be a franchisor uh, back in 2016. Uh, they were invested into by, by private equity and we rolled up all the franchises into one corporate entity so that you have, you know, with the large franchises, you could have each franchise operates differently. So you have a, an inconsistent level of service. And we saw in the property management space, it's very inconsistent. It's, there, there's, there's not a lot of uh, um, standardization and in, in, in processes and in reporting. And so that was to tie all that together. And so what you get is you get the scale um, of a large, very large property management company and the efficiencies that you have to have to run that big of a company bleeds down into the smaller investor. Uh, and so that that's a, a big selling point. And because of a lot of the regulation that's been happening in markets, especially around rentals, you need to have a professional property manager. I think it's very important and it saves you, the, the difference you're going to save on your return. You'll see it over years. It's very hard to measure because it's little things. So it's little things like how quickly you turn a property, how you're communicating, how long your vacancies happen, things like that. So that's really important. And so we, you know, we, we built a company around that and invested a ton into the processes and manage for hedge funds and manage for one-off investors. I mean, we have 13,000 owners that we manage for. Wow. So people wrap that and they wrap that around their head a little bit. That's a lot of different communications and a lot of, water heater broke. Why does it cost $500? You know, like, I mean, it's just massive. So uh, being able to wade through that and be successful just creates efficiencies. Yep. And um, that's and a big I, selling point there. Yeah. And I can definitely uh, attest to the fact that you do need a property management company. Um, I mean, if you have one house, maybe not, but you, I would say even once you get to two or three, it uh, just having a property management company reduces the headaches I don't know, tenfold. Um, so, especially if you're going to get into a home that you know, like I lived in Boulder for a while, and I'm sure in Seattle you might have somebody paying three or four grand a month to live in a house and they pay their rent every week and all that. But if you're actually going to be really investing and even a little bit larger scale, and you're looking at different markets and and things like that, like you can now invest outside of your geographic region and not only buy something that, that works and makes sense, but have it professionally managed and have that communication come to you and manage that process yourself um, or manage the managers because you still have to manage your managers. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's opened up the world of investing. It, it just really is. And, and you know, I, I'm sure you see it that you're looking at these other markets where, where it just can't be done in Seattle, but there's some other great areas. Yep. Okay. So now we're going to shift gears. Um, sure. I'm going to go into your own personal investing experience and I kind of want to hear about the stories. Um, so what has been, I mean, everybody has peaks and valleys in real estate investing. Um, so what has been the, the hardest experience you've had so far in investing? I mean, kind of what lesson did you learn from that? And then adversely, uh, what is the thing that you've enjoyed the most about it? So I can tell you the hardest experience in Chicago after the recession when, you know, a lot of people lost, especially in the real estate profession. And I, we lost everything and we started building it back up and, and buying uh, two and three flat buildings and, and selling them to investors and doing kind of a, a turnkey company. And uh, we invested in 
several buildings on the west side of Chicago that shortly after we acquired these buildings, they closed the police station. Oh, right where we were. So in Chicago (laughs) back in, uh, you know, during the the recession, there's a lot of cuts. And so they had to close police stations and they closed the station on the west side of Chicago and it, and it, uh, it was in a C class neighborhood, mostly, mostly government subsidized, but you could, you could buy and rehab a build a two or three flat building for a hundred to $120,000. I mean, gut it. So it was great. And you you get good tenants in there, but then the neighborhood got literally just, it blew up. And I mean, we, you know, we, we couldn't, they were no longer um, profitable in any way investments. And yeah. it was a, uh, it was a lesson learned. Like, I wish I knew what I know now then, because yeah. I, I could have had a different mentality um, about what I was doing. I just was looking at the numbers saying, well, this is going to work. And I didn't really do my due diligence. Yep. And um, it's, you know, caused a lot of angst in my marriage with my wife and, you know, all that kind of stuff because, nothing you know, it's, want. it's, Look, investments don't always go well, but what you can do is do everything you can to make sure it goes right. And then the, just a few things that go wrong, you can just go, oh, I couldn't help that. Yeah. Um, so that was that that was tough. But um, you know, the the positives is just really staying on top of the space and seeing how it's evolving and staying really close to what's going on in the housing market to understand, um, you know, that there's just so many opportunities and, and I've, and I've seen that with, with uh, the more I've done, the more opportunities have come to me personally to be able to, um, to invest. And it's just more of a, just kind of advice out there to people who, who want to invest in real estate, go on LinkedIn one day and turn on your camera and tell your story. Just, just say what you're doing. And it yeah. doesn't matter if you think it's inconsequential to the rest of the world. If you tell your story like, hey, I'm out there and I'm trying to invest and this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm seeing. All of a sudden, someone's going to come and go, oh, hey, here's an ideal for you. Or maybe f- here's, some, here's some capital for you or here's some opportunity. Yeah. So I learned that lesson very much. I started turning on the camera and just telling the story, telling what I'm doing on a daily basis. And that brings opportunity because people want to hear your story. They don't want to hear yourself pitch. They want to hear your story. Yeah, and it could yeah, be as yeah. simple as, I'm driving down the street and I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do next. Whatever it is, um, that is where you're going to find success, I think. And I, you're, I mean, look, we're doing it here, right? Yeah. People want to hear the story. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, we, I try to keep these to 20 or 30 minutes, but I, I wish I could go into your marketing a little bit because I 100% agree. Um, if just doing something like this, even a podcast, um, which it isn't, I, I know it looks, you know, like, as a background, but that's really just the zoom background. (laughs) Um, it's not as hard as you think. And just, as you said, turning on the camera and just start talking, um, you'd be surprised at where people come from. Um, just having your voice out there really does make it right. And you speak the truth. I mean, there's so much misinformation out there about the real estate market. So many people take snippets of data and mold that into the narrative that they're trying to push. And so you've got to go find it from people like yourself, from people like me that are just telling it how it is. And, and really, you know, I spent a lot of time reading and understanding data and then going and debunking many, many, uh, news articles. I don't even call them news articles. I call them content that's put out there that is pushing a false narrative for whatever reason. It's either ignorance or or a specific reason. I don't know, but, um, there's plenty of people out there speaking the truth and LinkedIn's a wonderful platform to do that. The engagement is 
off the charts. Yep. All right. So, um, so last question here for your personal side. Um, if, if you can give yourself starting out way back when, um, when you first bought your first clip, run on whatever it was, you can give that person one piece of advice. What would that piece of advice be? Hmm. Um, look at the numbers somebody gives you, but verify everything yourself. Yep. Everything from the taxes to the rent. I mean, every single minutia of a number because people are going to pad things and they're going to try to put it in a light in order to sell it. And it's just it's human nature and it's what they do. So if you can do all of that and do your due diligence, if something bad happens, you can say you did all the right things and you just couldn't control it. The worst thing to ever happen is for, for, for something bad to happen in an investment and it's because you didn't do something. Yep. Inaction is just, and, and, and you know somebody can tell you this is a great best deal in the world, but you need to put your eyes on it and understand it yourself. it yourself. And so that's, that's something that uh, I got you know, a little bit cocky about investing and was like, oh, it's great, it'll work. It's market's up, everything's good. Now, now appreciation is great, but it's, it's not what you invest based off of. You invest based off of the current deal. It doesn't yep. work now. If it works today, it's gonna work later. The other thing is, is not panic as well. I'm seeing a lot of people panic right now and they're saying, oh, they need to sell their house because the market's gonna crash. How many people wish they had held onto their house in 2008? Yeah. <laughs> right? And just rent it. Everything is cyclical. You just got to write it. Yeah. It's just got to write it. And real estate rarely goes down, you know? And, and this is, I think, the kind of recession that the values wholesale are probably not going to go down. Some markets are going to get hit in segments of markets. But yep. it's, not, it's not like it was in 2008 where it was a financial crisis. This is a natural disaster and it's, it's affecting things in a different way. So and we will bounce back. Yep. Yes. All right, so that brings us to the end of our time here. Um, for anybody who wants to get a hold of you, um, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Noel Christopher on LinkedIn, go search me. Uh, that is the main platform I use uh, socially to communicate and to put, put my message out there. Um, you can look me up on, on Renter's Warehouse. Um, my email is noelc at renterswarehouse.com. But I have to tell you, you're probably going to engage with me better if um, you want to engage with me and get in front of me, engage on some content, uh, go in. And this is to, if you want to get, get engage with anybody, go and engage with their content and then get engage with them. If, uh, somebody's trying to sell me something and they connect with me and send me a sales pitch, it goes in the trash. In your near out the other. It's, it's all about engagement these days. Yep. 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 All right. Well, Noel, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I really did enjoy it, And I'm sure all the listeners um, and watchers enjoyed everything that you shared with us. Um, so everybody watching, listening, you got his uh, contact information. If you want to get in contact with Noel, go on to LinkedIn, um, engage with his content, say hi. And uh, other than that, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. For more information on how to work with the host, Gabe Peterson, go to www.realestateinvestingclub.com. Otherwise, we will see you guys in the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. 
If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out, and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.